Today's sermon comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. There's a powerful scene in a novel written by South African writer Alan Patton. He describes the story of this young man. He's a young police lieutenant. He's a father. He's a husband. Uh, and he's a man who struggles deeply with depression. And he has what we would call father wounds or, or daddy wounds. And he's on the verge of having an affair with a younger woman. And his wife and children go out of town, and so his name's Peter. Peter goes over to a friend's house who's nicknamed Cappy, and his plan is to go over to his friend's house and to make a full confession of what's going on in his heart and the turmoil, the temptation, planning on repenting and, and coming out into the open with his friend. He knows what he should say when he gets there. He knows that he should tell his friend that he's just in a place of deep darkness and misery, and there's temptation in his heart. But when he gets to his friend's house, he decides to not tell him, and he nonchalantly lies about why he's there. He tells his friend, he says, Cappy, I'm just, uh, the, the house is so empty. I just want to come over and look at stamps. They actually have a friendship based around a common hobby of collecting stamps. And his friend Cappy knows that he's there for a deeper reason. He knows that he's there with something deeper going on in his heart. And so he says to Peter, he says, Peter, you're welcome to come here every night if you wish. And he doesn't return. And the writer, Alan Patton, writes this, Ah, if he could have told, and yet he could not tell. If I could have told, and yet I could not tell. What an accurate description of the tension that we face in responding to our sin. Responding to sin is at the heart of life because we face it every day of our lives. And the manner in which we respond to our sin is a major part of determining our quality of life. So the question is, how do you respond to your sin? To answer this, we're going to explore our response to sin and God's response to sin as we see it unfold in Genesis chapter 3 here with our first parents. So first, our response to sin. Our response follows the pattern of our first parents. 
How did Adam and Eve respond to their sin in the garden? Well, before we get to how they responded, note their condition before they fell at the end of chapter two. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was no shame. And then they choose to rebel against God. They choose their own way. And we read in verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew, they knew that they were naked. It's another way of saying that they immediately became aware of their shame. They sinned, and then they were ashamed. And that is sin's fruit. Sin's fruit is shame. And shame is the painful feeling of humiliation and utter embarrassment. That would be an accurate definition of shame. The painful feeling of of humiliation. The Scarlet Letter, historical fiction, written in the mid-1800s, is a story of a young woman who commits adultery, and she's found out, and her punishment is to wear a scarlet letter A on her chest, on her dress, to stand on a public scaffold for three hours and to face utter humiliation. Several years ago in Alabama, a judge ordered as punishment two shoplifters to stand in front of Walmart for eight hours with a sign on their front saying, I am a thief, I stole from Walmart. It's a modern version of the scarlet letter of sorts. What sin in your life or sins, past or present, if exposed to the public, if announced on social media for the entire world to see, would bring you utter humiliation and embarrassment. Now, I'm asking that question, and I want you to go there for two reasons. Number one is, I want you to feel that shame. I want you to feel that embarrassment. The second reason I want you to go there is that feeling that shame, I want you to know inwardly what's your immediate response to that. I'll tell you what your immediate response is. I'm glad this is hypothetical. Because if that really were to happen, I know what my immediate response would be. No way, or if it happened, I am going into hiding. I would hide before I would be exposed like that. The reason I ask that question and the reason I want you to go there is that I don't want you to read this Genesis 3 story as a hypothetical about two people. You're in this story because these are our first parents. And the way that we see them sin and then hide in the shame is exactly what you and I experience when we face our own sin. Sin produces shame, which leads to hiding. Adam and Eve's hiding happened on three levels, and it happens on three levels for us as well. First, note that they hide from each other. 
They hide from each other. Look at verse seven. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Why? To cover their shame. That suddenly, because of sin that had produced shame, which produced hiding, suddenly in this marriage relationship, they could no longer be transparent with each other. Transparent in trust was lost. They were no longer a safe place for each other. You know, the child that grows up with a mental disorder, because of that disorder, who in class is unable to do their work and cries when they're unable to focus and do their work and then gets laughed at by their kids, learns that people are not a safe place to expose sin and brokenness or to to really express true feelings. And that child grows up and learns to hide. Learns to hide their sin and brokenness, learns to hide their true feelings. And that carries into adulthood. But what I want you to see is that they hid from each other, but it also leads to hiding from self. It's a hiding from each other, but then it's even a hiding from self. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, one of the most famous actresses in the world, said this about herself. I don't want to watch any movie I'm in. It's horrifying. I'll just focus on something stupid like I hate my laugh. Why did I smile? Sometimes I look at myself and think, dude, I have the biggest, goofiest smile on earth. Now, you know what that feels like. Watch a video of yourself. She goes on to say when she's really feeling bad, she'll Google herself. And this is what she said about Googling herself. Now, most of us are not famous, so we don't have this problem. But listen to what she said. Only in very dark moments, moments of pure self-loathing, do I type my name into Google. You never read anything positive. You always go straight to where they say something nasty about you. You're fat, you're ugly, you're tired, you're worthless. You don't have a career anymore. It's just an affirmation of every horrible feeling about yourself. Sin produces shame and shame produces hiding. Hiding from one another and even hiding from self. But there's a second level of hiding and that is hiding from God. Look at verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now this verse is a little bit misleading. The sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of garden. What what is the imagery that comes to mind? You get this image of God just kind of strolling and whistling to come in and console Adam and Eve. But the Hebrew language here, the original language it was written, is a bit stronger. In fact, this is how one commentator translates it. They heard the roar of the Lord moving about in the garden in the wind of the storm. However you slice it, God is coming in judgment. Why do they hide? Verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid 
because I was naked and I hid myself. They knew they had sinned. They were aware of their shame. God comes in judgment and they feared his judgment. They feared his judgment. They tried to hide from him. What's interesting is that the beginning of the Bible here in Genesis and the end in Revelation have a similar picture. Revelation chapter six, verses 16 to 17 says this, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? They were afraid of God's judgment, and so they hid. Here's what's interesting to note. They used creation to hide from their creator. They actually used the beautiful trees in the garden to hide from the beautiful one who had made those trees. And we do the same thing. We use the, the good gifts of God's creation to hide from him. We hide behind our money, or we hide behind our house, or we hide behind our entertainment, or we hide behind our toys, or whatever it may be that are hiding. The most common way to hide from God is to so busy ourselves with the stuff of creation that we don't have to think about him. Because ultimately, there's a fear of judgment. So they hide from each other. They hide from themselves. They hide from God. But third, you see that they, they actually hide from their sin, even. They hide from their sin. Verse 11, God says, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And look at their answer, starting in verse 12. The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Now, if you want to know how to throw your spouse under the bus... That's it. Adam throws Eve under the bus. But we go on. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. It's his fault. How do they hide? They are trying at every turn to not own their sin and to dissociate from it. It's what we would call, there's a number of forms of how we do this, but it's blame shifting, shifting blame, uh, blaming circumstances, blaming people, blaming circumstances, whatever it may be to not own my sin and to dissociate from it, which is another form of hiding. If I can hide myself from my sin, then I can hide from the shame. And then I can avoid the shame. But does hiding really work? Does hiding really shield you from the shame and humiliation that is produced by sin? The answer is it does not. Of course not. And we see this in the next couple chapters of Genesis as things get hard as Adam and Eve and our first parents start to languish and pain and misery sets in. But we see King David actually share the story of his hiding in Psalm 32. When David says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
But then he says, for when I kept silent, that is David's explanation of when I kept silent, when I hid from others, I hid from God, I hid from my sin, I didn't confess it, I just pushed it and I kept silent. He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Hiding never produces the happiness that you think it will produce. Hiding, it seems like a sweet reprieve, but it's actually the gateway into pain and misery. In the novel, The Kite Runner, which was actually a novel that became a movie, tells the story of the, of the life of the main character, Amir, whose life took a drastic turn when he failed to come to the aid of his friend, Hassan, who was being or ended up being raped by the bully, Asaph. That Amir, in, in timidity, ended up hiding behind this fence and watching the event take place with his friend. And then afterwards, he hid it. He pretended he had never seen it. He pretended he knew nothing about it. And it's a story of this man who is eaten up with the shame and the guilt of what he had done and how his past continued to haunt his present. Listen to what he says. This is Amir, the man speaking much later in adulthood. I became what I am today, speaking as an adult. At the age of 12, on a frigid, overcast day in the winter of 1975, I remember the precise moment, crouching behind a crumbling mud wall, peeking into the alley near the frozen creek. That was a long time ago, but it's wrong what they say about the past, I've learned, about how you can't or how you can bury it because the past claws its way out. Looking back now, I realize I have been peeking into that deserted alley for the last 26 years. What are you hiding from this morning? What are you hiding from? What's the alley that you peek down in the corridor of your past and quickly turn your gaze elsewhere because you don't want to face the shame and humiliation of that sin, of that brokenness, of that past. Hiding will only lead to deeper languishing, to deeper misery, to deeper pain. So what's the answer? What's the answer? That's, that's our natural response to sin. What is God's response to sin? How does God respond to your sin? Because the way we see God respond to our first parents is the way that God responds to us. Our first parents sinned, they hid. What does God do? God seeks. God seeks. Look at verse nine. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, 
Where are you? Where are you? Now, how do we understand that question? It's certainly not that God didn't know where they were at because we know that God is all-knowing. No, that question was designed to draw them out of hiding rather than to drive them deeper into hiding. It was a question that started a conversation. It was a question that started a dialogue with Adam and Eve. We're the hiders. God is the seeker. God moves towards you in your sin, not away from you. It's the story of the scriptures. The story of the scriptures is God moving towards humanity in its sin, not away. Now, the question is, what's God's intention? What's his intention as he moves towards you in your sin? Well, verses 14 to 19 speak of God's pronouncing the curse on the serpent, Adam and Eve. We'll get to that next week. But we see God's intention in verse 21 of Genesis 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And clothed them. He looked at their pathetic attempt to cover themselves. Fig leaves are just not very effective. And God did something about it. Now, key observation, for God to cover them with animal skins meant that an animal had to die, which means for the first time in God's beautiful creation, something died. It was the first time that blood was shed. For Adam and Eve, this would have been a traumatic event. For them to see the first death in the garden, to see the first bloodshed, and then to piece it together and realize that for our nakedness to be covered, something had to die. For their sin and their nakedness to be covered, something had to die. And so what we learn is that God responds to our sin by moving towards us, and he moves towards us to cover our shame, to cover our humiliation, but it comes at a cost. And of course, this points forward to the ultimate story of our shame and humiliation being covered by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. But have you ever thought about why Jesus died the way he did? There were other ways for Jesus to die. He could have been stabbed and, and, and experienced a quick, violent death. But he died by crucifixion. The magazine History Today did a piece on looking closer at Roman crucifixion and what it meant. Listen to what it says. Roman crucifixion was death deserved by the most unworthy of all unworthies. It was death with grim humiliation and abasement. The article goes on to say that other religions knew of a dying God, 
But in the ones that did, and they referenced a Greek God that died, an Egyptian God that died, they experienced violent deaths that were immediate and that carried no shame with them. And then it pointed out the deep contrast of the way that Jesus Christ died. Christ's death by crucifixion was by contrast deeply perplexing. Let the Son of God deign to assume a mantle of humanity, but why go to the dregs? Why stoop to the deserts of a rogue slave beneath humanity? Why would God go to such utter depths of shame and humiliation? In fact, this was completely alien to Roman thought of the day. In fact, there's many that would, would fail to accept a God who out of pure love would experience that amount of shame. Publicly humiliated. Back to the scarlet letter, wearing the scarlet A, standing on the scaffold for three hours before the world to see. Jesus Christ was publicly humiliated. Shamed. And that was the intent of the Romans, was to shame him, humiliate their criminals so that the, the citizens would take notice not to do such a thing. But it wasn't ultimately the Romans that put Jesus on the cross. God put his son on the cross. And God, out of pure love, put his son on the cross to endure that shame. Hebrews 12, 2 speaks of it. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. Now, here's the irony of what happened on the cross. Colossians 2, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this Jesus set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus was put to shame so he could put to death your shame. Jesus endured your shame so that he could cover your shame. He was humiliated in your place. He was made a public spectacle in your place. Jesus endured shame to triumph over your shame. Now, let me point to two points of application here as it relates to you responding to your sin and you're responding to the sin of others. Okay, first, when you sin and you face the shame that sin produces, you have two choices. You can either hide, and that means hiding from others, hiding from yourself, hiding from God, hiding from your sin by blame shifting or making excuses, or you can have Jesus cover your shame by hiding in his life and death and resurrection on your behalf. Let me make a second point here in dealing with the, the sin of others. We tend to hide when we face our own sin and we tend to encourage others to do the same. Now, let me explain how that happens. Somebody comes to you and says and confesses uh, some, some deep offense that they've committed to another person or a way that they've hurt another person. And you, out of trying to help them feel better, say what? Hey, it wasn't that big of a deal. 
What you did really wasn't that bad. They, they took offense to it, but they're too sensitive. You realize what you're doing in that moment. You're helping them hide. You're minimizing their sin. You're putting a fig leaf on them, which is not effective. The point is, don't fig leaf each other. In an attempt to make somebody feel better, don't fig leaf them. Take them to Jesus. Allow them to own their sin and then take them to Jesus, the one who will cover their shame and cover their humiliation. There's a great scene in the movie, The Lion King. Little Simba and Nala wander off to the elephant graveyard. And this is the dark, evil place that Simba's father, Mufasa, tells him to never go to. And yet, as a result of their disobedience, they find themselves in this dark place, in a corner, being mocked and attacked and harassed by hyenas. And little Simba, little baby that he is, tries to roar to scare him away. And when he goes to roar, it comes out like a little growl. And the hyenas hear it and they start laughing more. And they start mocking him more. And together they mock and laugh and say, do it again, do it again. And so Simba musters up the biggest roar he can make again. And little do you know that Mufasa, the father, has come on the scene. Nobody knows it, but when Simba goes to growl, his little growl, it's a ferocious roar. And it's because Mufasa has come on the scene. And the hyenas hear the roar and they start chattering their teeth and they start scrambling and he grabs them and he pins them down. And he looks at them and he says, if you ever touch my son again. Mufasa sought his son. He sought after his son. He protected his son. He covered his son's shame. That's what the heavenly father does for you. He seeks you in your sin, in the dark place, in the corner where you're being attacked and harassed and shamed openly. He seeks you. He protects you. And he endures your shame and humiliation in his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And what he does is he covers your shame and then he covers you with honor as a son and daughter of the king. What are you hiding from? What are you hiding from? Come out of hiding. The father is seeking you. The son has taken your shame and been made a public spectacle for you. Come out of hiding. Come to Jesus. Come to the Father. Come to one another and experience the joy of being covered by the Father and honored as a son and daughter of the King. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are great hiders. 
and we confess in the depth of our hearts that our hiding has led to nothing but deeper shame and deeper humiliation and deeper darkness. And yet, Father, we feel stuck. We feel like we're in a corner. Would you open our eyes to your pursuit, to your seeking after us? Would you open our eyes to the shame endured by your son Jesus on our behalf? Would you help us to see there is no shame left? There is no humiliation left for us because it's been taken by Jesus. Father, would we come out of hiding and find our hiding place in you? Find our refuge in you. Hear those precious words from you that were forgiven, that were cherished, that were loved, that our shame's been covered, that we could experience the joy and the honor of being sons and daughters of the King. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.